0: Welcome to our podcast series, Talking With Traders, hosted by expert trader Garth McKenzie in London, from where he's interviewing various guests on the topic of trading. Welcome back to season seven of Talking With Traders. We're now into the fourth year of this podcast since it started in early 2020. Once again, IG have come on board as our sponsor for this season. We are truly privileged and grateful to have such a global leader in CFD trading as our sponsor. Over the coming weeks, I'll be interviewing various guests from around the globe on the topic of trading. Some will be follow-ups with past guests and some will be new guests. The idea behind this podcast is that you get a variety of views from a broad spectrum of market professionals. None of what you hear in these episodes is intended to be financial advice but it is intended to get you thinking about how you might be able to apply what you hear here into your own trading and investing. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcast app. That way you'll be notified when new episodes are released. Once again, thank you to IG for funding and sponsoring this podcast into its fourth year. And thank you listeners for tuning in. Please enjoy season seven of Talking With Traders. My guest for this week's Talking With Traders podcast is Justin Brophy, one of the portfolio managers and founders at Ambro Capital Investors. And specifically today, we're talking about brands and a new product that they've launched at Ambro called Brands, B-R-N-D-Z. So uh, no vowels in the name, that's very millennial, Justin. But uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. But as I always do with with any new podcast guest on Talking With Traders, I just want to get a little bit of a background into your career that's got you to this point so far. And then we'll get stuck into this new product of yours that's uh, very exciting and I'm interested to talk to you about.
1: Hi, Garth, and to all of your fellow investors and listeners, it's great to be here and obviously spend a bit of time unpacking brands. and. you know, my background is really very easy. Uh, you know, as a South African, I was working in South Africa when I started off. Today I'm based in the UK. But I started off uh, around the medical financing space, more in a structured uh, lending space. And then I moved more into the investment banking space with Investec and ultimately with Nedbank and Nedbank Capital. And we, there we had um, some wonderful uh, opportunities to work with some amazing people. I worked in the team uh, with Narina Fisser, and the two of us launched two ETFs and also dual listed an ETF into Botswana, which was an incredible experience at the time in a in a market where everything was done manually. So that was great fun. And uh, that was back in, uh, you know, sort of around the 20, 2011, 2012 mark. In 2014, after discussions with a lot of clients and, you know, having worked with Craig on and off uh, over a period of almost 15 years, Craig and I decided to launch Android Capital Investments. And what we really wanted was, you know, a journey that we could look forward to with the freedom to design innovative investment solutions or for a highly-enabled tech platform, which we developed from the beginning, and provide clients with with something different, something that, you know, is not a, a, a sort of uh, also ran in the market. And that's where brands came in. So today we sit uh, after 10 years in Anbro, and uh, Craig and I really feel that uh, along the way, we've had many partners and people in Anbro have worked with us and you know um, have have contributed to a business we've built and led us to the point now where we've got three successful listed uh, you know funds on the JSE and one uh, unit trust which actually exists in parallel to the to the the one listed investment product.
0: Okay, fantastic. So the one we're going to be talking about today is this brands product, which is is very interesting, and I'm not sure that I've ever seen anything else like this in the market. Um, it's a it's it's B-R-N-D-Z, as I said, so it's got none of the vowels in it, but brands is the name of it. And it says here that you you focus on the top 100 global brands by value. Um, it sounds very interesting. I mean, when people think of brands, they think of, wasn't Google the most valuable brand in the world recently? Um, Coca-Cola is a very valuable brand. So we think about these brands, but um, how did, how do you get to determine the valuations of the brands and what has to happen in order for a company or a brand to make it into the top 100 global brands? Great place to
1: start. Well, I think the first the first thing to mention here is around the world, you know, there's approximately a trillion dollars worth of advertising spend, uh, which is an enormous amount of money. And for most companies, uh, you know, where you decide to advertise and how you try and get your product to market, is a huge decision. Every dollar's got to count and everything's got to be worth something. So what's happened in the past sort of 20 to 25 years, you've seen a lot of work where originally through Acker and Keller's models, um, for those that have done uh, sort of MBAs and marketing top degrees out there, you saw the, the rise of something called brand loyalty and brand royalty rates and things like this. Now, for many years, you know, this is, this has been more of a, a subjective thing. What does it look like? As we've moved towards an era of uh, online and technology platforms and the ability to almost advertise on anything, we've seen the rise of, of uh, these big businesses who look to value brands, to value what that uh, that brand is worth, and this this provides people with an idea around how to allocate spending, particularly in the advertising space, on a more Uh, let's call it qualitative basis, where you can actually sit down and say, okay, I understand by value what these things look like. Now, on our side, we've had a look. There's obviously the the qualitative and quantitative research. If one looks at really where does the brand discussion start, well, it's not too difficult. One would look at something like tangible asset value of a company. You would add on to that a discussion around discounted cash flow, and you would then look to subtract the market cap and what's left. It's typically goodwill or potentially even brand value. Now, that's one side. As traders and as as portfolio managers, we look at those typically. The other side is that there are uh, enterprises out there, one of them being a report called the Brand Finance Global 500 report. They look at the other side. They've started looking at what do the customers and clients of these companies also think of them. So when you look at a brand, and you're looking at the brand's value out there. And all those calculations are happening. There's the one side, which is our world, which is you know typically, which is the financial world. It's the quantitative side. It's the results presentations. It's all the ratios. It's everything we look at and love. On the other side is a different world where people are looking to allocate advertising spend and looking at what the value of that brand actually is. What's my bang for buck? How do I do that? And so what you've seen is the rise of these and uh, brand finance global is just one of them. There's many of them. And they actually rank all these different companies by brand value. So what we've done is we've looked at quite a few inputs. We've looked at creating an index of these, and then we've come up with a proprietary uh, brand valuation uh, matrix, which we utilize a lot of these guys' inputs for as well. So it is both sides, but actually what we led by is we led by the, the input on the brand value that's out there.
0: Okay. So I'm okay. not sure if that's a good
1: start for you on, the, on how to look at selection.
0: It, it is, it is. It explains it quite nicely, how you value a brand um, and the different methodologies that you use. Now, you, you say that you invest in the top 100 global brands. So, I mean, the next question, I guess, is how do you then apply the weighting? Um, is, are the 100 all equally weighted or are they weighted according to their brand value? So, you know, the biggest brand by value gets the biggest weighting in the portfolio, etc. How does that look?
1: Okay. So, the, the brand calculations, you know, one's also got to look at when in the year you, you sort of you know decide that this is the point where we value. So what we do is we do an annual rebalance um, of this portfolio. And that annual rebalance is a hell of a lot of work that goes through during the year in terms of the brand calculations. And it's a really a moment in time where we can look at across the board those top 100. And then what happens is, much like one would look at a market cap rating, it would be done on a brand value rating. So most valuable brand, as the highest weighting. Mm. And if we look, the top 10 brands occupy around 53% of the, the portfolio, and the remaining 90 occupy the remaining 50%.
0: Okay, so it's actually quite heavily skewed towards the biggest brand, so you know, there's there's lots of talk about for example s and p five hundred and how it's very heavily weighted towards the magnificent seven shares and yes. and people argue you know there's not enough there's not a lot of breadth in the market right now because it's being led by these seven big stocks, and the rest of them are not really performing right. so I guess in this case you've got a similar sort of situation where you're being very much driven by the the, the couple of top shares that are the biggest brands by value and then the the last as you say the remaining 90 percent occupy what only around about half of the portfolio is waiting
1: that's correct but even in that top 10 it's quite diversified i mean you've got the likes of of meta louis vuitton mcdonald's amazon microsoft google apple those kind of stocks plus you've got visa you know and coca-cola so it's it's The Magnificent Seven, as we speak about now, are skewing indices. And, um, you know, you can hold the S&P 500 or the NASDAQ right now and you're getting a hiding in a car with seven shares is actually outperforming the the market, to your point. In this case, what we've tried to do is, you know, this is the world's biggest brands. That's what we've gone after. And so for us, weighting it accordingly and then reweighting it on an annual basis ensures that the, the investor is getting access to those brands in their correct weighting. And that was the approach. We did consider an equal weighting, but then, you know, in this scenario, there needs to be a winner because the world does have the most valuable brands. You know, there are brands are valued on that basis. And so that's why we looked at it.
0: Okay. So just to clarify, I mean, it's all worked on that brand value. There's none none of the other typical uh, valuation metrics like PE ratios and dividend yields and free cash flow yields and all of that kind of stuff. Is that not a part of the calculation of the brand value?
1: So obviously, there are a couple of other metrics one's got to look at. I mean, there's things like liquidity. That's very important. We've got a liquidity screen. There are other interesting ones, like Red Bull is one of the top 100 brands, global brands in our matrix. But one can't buy Red Bull. You have to buy KKR. And KKR has got a, a holding in Red Bull. So in that one, we decided not to include Red Bull. So one of the important metrics for us is to make sure that we do have direct line of sight and the ability to buy the stock. You know, there are some stocks that we've got in China, for example, Alibaba, that form part of the index. We've got to be able to buy them or, and hold them in the portfolio. So we also want liquidity and we want line of sight. We also would make sure another metric would be what would happen if a particular stock, you know, in the case of someone like Microsoft buying Activision. If Activision was one of the top 100 brands, how does that work? You know, one brand would drop up. We would then rebalance and someone would come in and Activision would form part of the Microsoft, uh, the Microsoft holding. So it is skewed towards brand value, but there are liquidity screens. And um, we would look at a sort of, let's call it a, a universe of about 120 to 140 stocks that fall into that. So, yes, there's some correlation if one had to look at a world index, but there's also quite a lot of skew when you look at brand valuation of those in there. Mm. And that would probably be the best way to answer that question.
0: Okay. All right. That's interesting. And what about companies that are, you know, umbrella companies that have a lot of brands underneath them? You know, I'm thinking of something like Unilever or PepsiCo or Yum Brands you know, or, or record bankies. I mean, these yeah. these are sometimes names that the average investor's probably never heard of. Maybe average person probably doesn't know about record Bank user you know, yeah. or young brands, but, you know, go and have a look under your kitchen sink and look at all your detergents and products in your, Correct. your kitchens. You know, you'll find that they're all made by record Benkizer or, or Unilever is also often the case, but now those as, you know, the, so the, the umbrella businesses are perhaps not the well-known brand, but there are stacks of very, very well-known brands underneath those umbrellas. So w- how does that work in terms of an allocation to the portfolio?
1: So if you look at something like Yum Brands, now Yum Brands in this portfolio occupies about a third of the percent um,
0: mm-hmm. that
1: are in the portfolio. And what you have is you have a roll-up of all of the underlying brands. So Yum will probably have KFC and a couple of others that will roll up into those.
0: Yeah, because for, a- for the listeners who don't know, I mean, Yum Brands, as we said, the Yum Brands is the brand they probably don't know, but they do they do know KFC and what are the other brands that form part of Yum Brands?
1: Yeah, so, so being able to add those up, and look at a, a let's call it a, a top level um, valuation is where we would come in. We do get the valuation of all the underlying brands. And another good example is something like Xbox. You know, you can't buy Xbox in the market, but yeah. Xbox is owned by Microsoft. So what we're able to do is we're able to get the valuation of Microsoft X Xbox, and we've got Xbox, and we'll have Activision. And so what we will do is we will then rate that accordingly in terms of its of its valuation. And it will be summarized under Microsoft. And so Microsoft's inclusion in the index will include a, um, uh, what do you call it, total value of all the underlying brands underneath it. Right. So, so when one looks further at it, you can actually see all the different underlying pieces that, that are evolving out of that brand. But not necessarily Xbox under Microsoft, but see yeah. Microsoft.
0: Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Is there any way to backtest this uh, methodology, this brand value uh, pr- proposition? Because you know, you, you, we always look back and we, we can look back at long-term historical graphs of indices like the S&P 500 or the Dow Jones Industrial Index, et cetera. And these things go back, you know, a hundred years plus. Um, but but I, I'm kind of of the view that maybe this is a relatively new um, way of valuing businesses. So, if that's the case, you know, is there a is it possible to backtest this to look and say, well, you, you know, what was the what was the number one brand in in nineteen sixty 1960 and nineteen sixty one and nineteen sixty two, and and how did those top hundred stack up all those years ago? And had you followed this kind of process investing via this methodology all these years, you know, how would you have done? Is it possible to backtest that? Is that information available?
1: This is a great question, and and I was actually so glad you asked this question. It made me think the most before our sort of uh, chat today with Union Investor. This is a fantastic question, and I'll tell you what's interesting about brands, and this is why we got so excited about it, is that what you find is that brands are also a very good measure of global trends. So in other words, if we go back say sort of 30 years, and you look at General Electric, and you look at uh, Shell, BP, um, in South Africa, we can think of uh, you know our big mining houses, and we look at how relevant they were 30, 40 years ago, and then today, if you look at relevance, you're seeing different kinds of brands and different kinds of themes and trends that have evolved. So today, something like Apple or um, you know uh, Microsoft or something like that is right on trend for for something at the very top of the brand valuation. If we rewind 30, 40 years the trend would have been more towards the the ones I've just spoken about. Mm. So actually what brand valuation has done is it's given you almost an insight into the themes and trends of investors over time. Now, to answer your question, what I do have is that one of the inputs we use comes from a a company called Cantor, and they have a very interesting, they've been running brand valuations since back to 2006. And what I can give you is from 2006 to 2000, let's call it 2023, up to now, around about 17-year history. And thinking about what I've just said to you, the way trends and themes have changed over that time, and constituents are different today than what they used to be as mm-hmm. brand values have grown or fallen. Sure. What they've, what they've um, produced is that over that period of time, 17 years, 2006 to 2023, the, the, the top 10 most powerful brands in the portfolio in each year, so obviously it's changing as the brand value happens, but by the brand valuation method, returned 414%, S&P 500 did 231, and MSCI World Index returned 107. Yeah. Now, that's a fascinating insight, but what yeah. it doesn't – so so let's be clear. We're not answering your question to be able to say, how do you backtest and go to the stock? Yeah. What we're saying is, which stocks made the index since 2006 all the way through to 2023 as they, they came on and came off in the index according to brand valuation? And that's the result. And so for us, the excitement is, you know, with, with our other products like Unicorn, we track a lot of the new growth trends and things that are out there in the market, some of the exciting pieces. And a lot of those are big themes. And what this actually shows us is that brand values point to where those themes are and how valuable they are and how some of them are starting to deteriorate and some are starting to, to rise. Yeah, An I'm interesting good. comment for, for um, you know, just for discussion is, in the UK, we've got these two, um, I'm sure you're aware of them, but two South African-based uh, you know, uh, based guys. We've got these two internet sort internet-based of banks. They're purely online. One's called Monzo, the other one's called Revolute. Yeah. I think Monzo's got north of it's about 4 million customers, and Revolute actually has more. I mean, these guys are just pure online banks. You don't see branches. You don't see anything. They are backed mm-hmm. by Bank of England. These brands have now made the UK's top 100 brands out of nowhere. Right and it's just showing on a brand value point of view how these trends emerge and how they actually start to come through. One would be naive not to look at all the other factors as well we we portfolio managers and traders at heart, so we do look at the other factors we we're not going to be just because something on uh, you know on the thirty first of December or on the twenty ninth of November has a brand value of x, but we know that there are huge issues with that company and it's a it's a Brand valuation calculated. You know, we could. We're not going to be naive to that. You know, yeah. there's definitely going to be a, a qualitative and a quantitative matrix behind that on how we look at these in-house.
0: Yeah, yeah. I just want to go back to that point that, about the back testing, though, because that stat you gave is fascinating. So you, you said that from 2006, when the data is, you know, reliable data is available on this, yeah. your, your top ten brands <clears throat> by value have grown you said 400 and how much 414% 414% and you said the S&P 500 over the same times done, 238
1: 231
0: 231 so so you you've you've almost doubled the performance of the S&P 500 yeah over the last 17 years by being invested in these top 10 brands it's amazing. I mean, in, in seventeen years is not a long term. It's, it's not a long time in investing. So it, it makes me wonder if one were to actually go back and do this calculation back to, as I said, the nineteen sixties or the nineteen fifties, when you know the biggest brands of the of those era were, were very different brands to what we've got now. But you followed this methodology of reweighting every year. I mean, it would be fascinating then to know just h- how how much you would have outperformed the typical equity indices by following this methodology. Because it's very exciting if that's you know, seventeen years of history. That's what it's showing. Gosh, I can only you know begin to wonder what it's going to look like over the next say fifty or sixty years.
1: Yeah, and I think I think also we're fortunate today as investors to you have something that perhaps. 30, 40, 50 years ago, we didn't have. And that's access to information and real live information and ability to measure things in an understandable and um, equitable way, you know, that we all understand. And so anytime you get a new kind of measurement that you can look at, it's worth considering. You know, we're not saying this is going to replace the the current trends and the right, and this is the right way. We're not saying that at all. We're just saying this is an interesting way to look at um, investing a portion of your portfolio. Yeah, um, It's looking at uh, all the mat- matrices, but also something new and something that's actually, it is new, but it's around 20 years old. And the more we, we move to a world that's dependent on, you know, now and information and where things are and decisions are made around that kind of stuff and information is, is just everywhere. This becomes more and more important because the decisions around this, it's a new measurement for, for how strong your company is and your brand
0: yeah absolutely i mean i, I love it as a, as an approach to investing it's so refreshing compared to you know that good old-fashioned balanced portfolio you know to make you go to sleep this is really exciting is there anything else like this globally that that competes with what you're doing
1: so you know this is a, this is also a great question we actually met with uh with marina fisser who, who i worked with and i've got a lot of respect for marina she's if it comes to exchange traded product and. Sort of yeah. investing in South Africa. She's just a, a doyen of of the industry and yeah. someone who you can always trust for information.
0: She's she's a brand in her own right. When it, Narina it's is a associated, associated with exchange traded funds, she is Mrs. Yeah. Exchange Traded Funds of South Africa. Yeah.
1: I had the privilege of, of 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 working with with Narina for many years, and so the first port of call was I thought let me find Narina, you know let, let let's let's find her. So we sat down with the team and Narina, and we said we're thinking of this idea. This was last year in November. You know, we'd been back testing and trying to run this thing and having a look at it and trying to break it during 2022. And so we got hold of her and we said, what do you think? And she said the same thing I said the first time we looked at this. There must be something else. Mm. So we said, okay, go away, have a look, you know. And then she came back and said, I can't, I can't find anything. So so that was the first part. The next thing is we use a um, and partner with an AI-driven portal called Nozable, which is phenomenal. There's a guy called Stuart Elliott who's developed this, and it's just amazing. I mean... We can pull the full international Morningstar universe down and then simulate anything against a Morningstar um, you know, rated mutual fund or unit trust out there. We could not find anything like it, to be honest. Amazing. And, um, and the, the reality is that it doesn't mean there isn't something in the pipeline somewhere sure. or someone else is doing it. But the way we've decided to do it is unique um, as far as we're concerned at the moment
0: it it really is well that's it's i mean it's hell of a an exciting and I'll, I'll tell us a little bit more about just the sort of the mechanics of it um you said it's is it is it list, listed on the jse is it an etf or an etn what's the what's the so, vehicle
1: so the vehicle behind this is the equivalent for those people that know how an etf and an, an etn works this vehicle is called an actively managed certificate it behaves like an exchange traded note and the reason it's an exchange traded note is because it's issued by UBS. So UBS is the underwriter and credit behind our note. And we have a portfolio of stocks which, which back up this. So when an investor buys this, it actually has a physical set of, of stocks that are behind this particular portfolio. Right. And so what, what the investor is able to do is to go on like any stock on the JSC on an online share trading portfolio and type in BRNDZ as the share code and it will pop up on there. And they'll be able to look at the double and be able to buy it like any other stock, any other ETF or any other exchange traded product with a double.
0: Okay. So when you say double, just for the uninitiated listener, double is the, basically the bid-ask spread. That's the, the point in the market where you can either buy the ETF or you can sell it. Um, and there's usually a market maker there making a price on both sides, both the buy and sell. So, so UBS is the market maker. And I mean, I, you know, in, I, I presume with anything like this, they're there in, in sort of reasonable size, but not if you wanted to go and buy 5 million rands worth of this thing, you couldn't do that straight away. You'd need to get, a, you know, get them to actually back it up and make a market. We, absolutely. Yeah. So
1: we've got a couple of different um, approaches here. We've tried, you know, on listing, we also wanted to make sure that, you know, this is, a, this is a very big portfolio in terms of the number of stocks and being able to provide that to your client in one specific, you know, stock at a time in the form of brands um, at a reasonable price. We wanted to make sure that it was done properly. So we actually listed this in September, but only really started the marketing at the end of September, beginning of October. And our idea was to make sure that everything ran smoothly. And we worked closely with UBS. They've been a good partner, and it's there. So what we've done, we've had a five-year history with uh, UBS when we launched Unicorn five years ago in these type of products. And um, what we've always had is where institutions call us and want to trade, they might phone us directly, or they call up UBS directly, or they call up their own stockbroker. So what we'll find is that someone's got a prime broker or stock broker from an institutional point of view. They'll call them up. They'll contact UBS and, and arrange for a, a price around the market price and where it is and um, be able to trade that. That'll be on screen, so it's fairly transparent. And for investors like like you and I, when we were looking to buy it, it's available to buy. You know, An easy way to see it is, you know, I had a, a customer of Easy Equities call me the other day and say, look, I'm on Easy Equities. How do I buy it? And I said, look, I'm not on easy equities, but I can, I can have a look. And I just told him, have a look. He said he could find it. He saw the double and he could place his bid and buy it. And it's as okay. so simple as that. And to sell is exactly the same. You know, it's very okay. really liquid. Um, you're, able to, you're able to do on both sides.
0: All right. Okay. So it basically trades like a share on the JSE. Exactly. Um, and, and I guess then that means my next question is kind of irrelevant. I was going to ask, what's the minimum investment? But, then, I mean, you could buy one yeah. share of this, I guess, if you... Right, right now, to. too.
1: To maybe just give some credence to that, we listed it at 100 Rand a unit, yeah. you know, 100 Rand a share, yeah. and it's trading at around 101, 101.50 at the moment. On um, our website, brands which is brndz.global, you can see live pricing and click off there and actually see it um, through the UBS uh, lens, and you'll be able to see it on your own online share trading platform whatever the individual is using.
0: Okay, all right. So it's there, it's trading like a share. And it's specifically on the JSE. Have you got any plans or intentions to take this onto other markets around the world? Because I just think this is such an exciting product. That, you know, it, it's the sort of thing that should be on, on on bigger exchanges around the world.
1: Very. We're very excited about that, uh, Garth. You know, we've recently taken our other two uh, listed products, which, were, which is Dynamic Compounding, which is a lower risk product, high yield and Unicorn, which is a high-growth product. We've been able to take those, and uh, those are currently listed in dollars on the, uh, six, the Swiss Stock Exchange. And um, we are in discussions to have a look at how to launch brands in other markets around the world at the moment as well. But one thing we like to do is, we like to sort of you know, take things inch by inch, do them properly, break them. So when an investor gets an opportunity to buy something, they can have confidence that it's tradable, that everything works, they can get liquidity in it. How do they get in? How do they get out? It works in their market and it's transparent. Yeah. So those, are the important, those are the important things for us. So it's it's inch by inch. It's exciting. We South Africans, so it's South Africa first, you know, but like against uh, England on Saturday with the box play, play England, you know, we, we South Africa is our home, um, you know, so we, we launched there first. And from there, we also thought as South Africans, you know, we know there's tough times and we know guys need to look at something beyond just the rent. Now, this is a dollar-based portfolio of global investments, which you can buy for hundred Rand at the moment. Let's call it per unit. Yeah.
0: yeah. Just to put a timestamp on this recording, because you mentioned South Africa playing the box on Saturday. So this podcast only going to go out in about two weeks' time. Hopefully, by that stage, we've already brought the World Cup back home. After having beaten the All Blacks. (laughs) 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 Absolutely. All right. So, I mean, uh, this has been extremely informative, Justin. I've enjoyed this discussion. But if anyone listening to this does want to find out more about it or they want to delve into it a little bit more deeply, where can they go to find out more or to have a look at what the constituent holdings are? Is that information updated regularly for them to be able to see? Yes, so, so the, there is a
1: product-specific website, um, which is brndz.global. And um, like you said, with millennial uh, thinking in mind, you know we, we even went that route as opposed to a .co and a .com. So it's brndz.global. There's also the andro.com main website where you can click through to those websites and see them. And please feel free also, if the guys need to, our contact details are on that website. And people are, are more than welcome to get hold of us. And there are buttons there that can click and simply get hold of us on the, from the website. There's an uh, there's updated live pricing on that website. And there's also updated fact sheets and further information on the product.
0: Fantastic. Well, uh, Justin, I wish you all the very best with this product because I really think it's something unique. It's innovative. It's um, it's it's brilliant. So you know, all the very very best with it. I'm glad to have been able to give you a bit of airtime with it, and I found this really interesting. It's it's enlightened me as well as to just the power of how you know owning the top brands can outperform the broader market indices to such an extent. It's a it's a fascinating discussion. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you, God. and I think to leave listeners and, and investors with something interesting, just remember that in the other interesting part of this is it tends to be uh, you know, tracked with lower volatility than most investments because when you look at tough times, people default to the brands they know. When times are good, people spend on things they know. And I think when you look at well-run companies that can continue to make the index, in any market, they're able to try and do better than peers because of the relative strength of their brand. Yeah. And that, that would be my summary. And thanks so much for having us on. We really appreciate it.
0: Perfect. Well, thank you for the time, Justin. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of Talking With Traders, brought to you by IG, a world-leading CFD provider. We really are privileged to have such a leader in the field of online trading involved in this series. Please follow us on Facebook and engage with us there. And a reminder to make sure you subscribe to this series by clicking on the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we'd also appreciate if you'd leave a review on the app too. Till next time.